0: Smartcast
1: You are listening to a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast.
2: Hello and welcome to a special series that we're kicking off ahead of the Union Budget in 2021 on Mint. This is a pivotal budget and moment for all economy and economic policy watchers. As India closes up this year, we are in the throes of a technical recession. It is true that there have been very nascent signs of growth cropping up across the Indian economic landscape. Equally though, it's true that at this point every step matters and every step is crucial. What should the finance minister consider and what might be the key imperatives as we aim to build back this economy? Could 21 or 2021 be the make or break moment for us. That's what we're going to discuss over the course of the next few conversations. The first one today is an extremely interesting one and one that brings out a very wide range of opinions. Should India look to open up its economy? Should it look to get back into the global track and actually start pushing harder on exports or should it go with a track that it's moved to in the last couple of years where it's become more protectionist in nature? The Atmanirbhar? team, of course, will be a key focal point for the budget. But will that be the track the finance minister chooses to take in an environment where she needs to scale up uh, India's economic prospects and growth, of course? Joining me to debate that and to talk about that is an all-star panel that knows this subject and many others around the economy fairly well. Let me introduce them to you. Shayan Ray, who's senior fellow at ICRIAR, joins in to talk to me. Uh, Santosh Pai, who's partner at Link Legal. And understands the landscape with respect to the India China imperatives very well. Ajit Ranade, um, an economic face that needs no introduction, president and chief economist at the Aditya Birla Group, and Samiran Chakrabarti, who's chief economist um, for India at Citigroup. I welcome all of you. Thank you for joining in. Let me dive straight into it. Uh, Dr. Ranade, first word with you. I want to take a couple of steps back to February 2018, where the then finance minister Arun Jaitley rose to present his budget and within that they lay a surprise. There was a much more protectionist nature to his budget. In fact, uh, If I have the number correct, there was a customs duty raise on as many as 46 items. I want you to walk us through that period in 2018 to where we are now in terms of whether or not you think those decisions have done uh, something good or have made a major step forward either for manufacturing or for India's export potential. I think you'll have to unmute yourself, Dr. Anade. Your audio isn't Thank very you, clear sir. to us. Thank you, Mithali.
3: Yeah. Thank you. Mitali. Thank you. Uh, that speech which you mentioned of uh, Finance Minister Jaitley was in the context of uh, growing for protectionist sentiment or growing protectionist actions uh, all around the world. And uh, there was some unilateral action, as you remember, from the U.S. on uh, uh, which uh, slapped uh, tariffs and raised tariffs pretty steeply on imports from China which they subsequently expanded to other uh, countries as well, including the European Union. And uh, there was a tit-for-tat action from China as well. So uh, it, it seemed as if uh, the, the world was entering into a somewhat more prote- protectionist uh, phase, uh, of course, partly concerned because of the uh, domestic uh, employment and industrial situation. And in India also, I think what was happening is that, uh, uh, as you know, uh, we, the trade remedies that we have been using and especially for countries where imports are coming into india at uh, below cost of production and that trend was increasing and therefore uh, and the and the remedy for that was uh, anti-dumping duties which is actually a quasi-judicial procedure that you've got to demonstrate you've got to give evidence there are hearings there are county hearings and the whole process takes six to nine months uh, there are of course other remedies available which won't take as long so the context was that uh, of raising but indeed, it was uh, somewhat of a surprise. And economists, of, of course, were not exactly enthused because the long journey of uh, steadily decreasing tariffs uh, from early 1991, I think we saw uh, this was kind of a reversal. And I believe uh, from 2013 onwards, not just 18. Uh, if you look at the last five six years, uh, the overall average tariffs have gone up by 5 percentage points. So it's not only that speech, but uh, uh, that trend has been seen over uh, the last five six years and that is i would say a little worrying because uh, all said and done uh, india's exports also have an import content so to the extent that we increase import tariffs we also make the production of the export items to the extent that these inputs are on intermediate goods which go in production of exports to that extent also uh, there's an increase in uh, in in cost of production and therefore it can be uh, you know, it can be like a de facto export tax. So we have to be mm. careful and selective and strategic about these uh, protectionist actions.
2: Shayan, let me draw you into this conversation, uh, you know, on exactly the point that Dr. Ranade raised, which is that an import tariff is basically equal to an export tax. Uh, do you get the sense that there is going to be a major pivot from that stance for for the finance minister or for this government going into next year's budget?
4: Um, so, the thing is that imports, um, if you look at the, our basket of imports, a large part of it is actually intermediate imports. So, the point okay. that Dr. Anandi was making is that if you increase the import tariffs on those items, we are actually making the goods more expensive and hurting your competitiveness. In a market where you are already not being able to compete with, some countries and some goods, like, you know, in tech uh, garments, you're not being able to compete with Vietnam or China, uh, with Bangladesh. This is a bad thing. Um, uh, but then, uh, see, uh, India has always uh, increased its imp- uh, customs duties through its budget. And uh, usually it is done uh, in a manner that if, it, it, if there are certain industries which are getting h- hurt adversely for some reason or the other, this is how it is done. So it is possible that Certain industries might get protected in the uh, coming budget also through this means. Uh,
2: which industries would you immediately identify Shayon, as those that might get uh, you know addressed in this budget?
4: So um, also uh, if you look at the PLI scheme which has come about, uh, uh, yeah. it has already talked about you know um, protecting ten sectors. And uh, uh, of all the schemes that, uh, of all the sectors that have been identified, uh, particularly I think textiles stand out because there uh, there is need some for some protection, as uh, we make more and more PPE and um, those kind of items. So it is possible that these sectors might get uh, protected. Mm-hmm.
2: Samiran, uh, what form and shape do you think the narrative might take this time round? Because you know, I'm I'm quoting from what uh, the principal advisor for the Dep- Department of Economic Affairs has said, and he says, and I quote: "Atmanirbhar Bharat scheme is not to be mistaken as an import substitution policy. Uh, it, it tends to be seen as that. How do you think the two can deviate? Can we have the best of both worlds, where we are trying to create this kind of uh, you know space for domestic manufacturers, but we also have international aspirations or global aspirations via greater exports?
1: Uh, So I guess the the question really is that uh, what's different in this import substitution versus the pre-1990s import substitution which we all economists are worried about because we have well documented that uh, that pre-1990s import substitution led to a lot of inefficiencies uh, we've pushed our growth back, right? So, I mean, my view what is changing is that while uh, the trade account the government is became, becoming selectively protected and I'm using the word selectively and practically uh, quite consciously uh, but on the other hand, the capital account is becoming more and more open and I think that's the counterbalance that the government is looking at that if the domestic industry becomes inefficient, complacent under the tariff umbrella. Then there's a potential of uh, takeover by uh, global companies, and that threat of takeover would not make the domestic uh, manufacturers become inefficient uh, despite the tariff protection that is being given to them. Uh, as long as this model works, it's a very interesting uh, combination that we are trying, uh, but uh, there is always that uh, fear that once you are on this path, there's a slippery slope and demand for from more and more industries will come in uh, for these kind of protections. And once you combine that with the fiscal incentives that the government is giving, then uh, the overall protectionist tendency would come even more than what the simple tariff and non-tariff barriers suggest. Mm. Uh,
2: Santosh, this is a good and opportune moment for you to jump in. Much of this narrative has also been built because of escalating tensions between India and China. But if you had to look at the numbers, India at this point accounts for only 3% of China's exports, less than 1% of its imports. in in contrast, though, a lot of the imports that come in are, are extremely essential for Indian industry, whether it's pharmaceutical ingredients or more recently, as we saw, there is a shortage of semiconductors. It affects the auto industry as well. Um, are we going about this the right way in terms of combating or taking on the Chinese uh, dangers as we see them?
0: Thank you, Vitaly. Uh, so, as uh, Dr. Ranade was referring to, we have been using anti-dumping and you know such measures to guard against the real risk of dumping from China, and that's perfectly valid. Uh, every country does it. But what is important to watch out in the forthcoming budget will be in 2020. We did a complete U-turn uh, when it comes to our economic engagement with China. Until late last year, uh, we were actually looking to expand economic engagement, welcome Chinese investment enhance trade and reach a hundred billion dollar target. Now, all of that has gone out of the window. So what will be interesting to see is how do we prioritize economic growth for India over our political tensions with China? And that is a very careful balancing act. Uh, We can't just become inward looking and protectionist because that's not gonna help us uh, when it comes with the rest of the world. At the same time, we have to reduce our dependency on China. That's a real uh, requirement uh and uh, we just talked about you know the production linked incentives uh, when you give such incentives you offer them to your domestic companies as well as foreign investors coming in to make india their manufacturing hub so it's really this balancing act uh, of the entire global audience will be watching out for in the forthcoming budget
2: mm. Dr. Anadi, even as we aim to or hope to build domestic manufacturing, uh, it is a truth, is it not, that growth and exports for any emerging market economy are Siamese twins. They have to go together in order for us to achieve even aspire to get back to that percent growth. Um, In that context, do you think India is doing enough in terms of boosting its exports? And do we have a real sense of how to leverage that opportunity over here, given the landscape that Santosh just pointed out? I mean, it's not just India versus China. There is a very real sort of uh, fear around engaging with China economically or otherwise for other nations as well.
3: Well, Mithali, uh, just to add to what Santosh said, the import dependence on China Let me just give you some numbers. In electronics, it is 45%. In capital goods and machinery, it is 32%. In organic chemicals, it's 38%. In furniture or bedding, which is an which is an end consumer good, I guess it's 57%. In automotive parts, is 25%. And pharmaceutical intermediates, like you mentioned, 68%. In some items like the like compressors for air conditioners, it's 80%. I'm told uh the the road the motors for uh, washing machine is 90 percent these are all in, in, in these are all uh, inputs intermediate goods so uh there's no way we can build this capability overnight and remember in pharmaceuticals we are actually a big exporter of uh, uh, bulk drugs in fact 20 percent of the global share and we uh, this is a success story because we have been able to meet the requirements of the various regulators like the food and drug reg- regulators in north america or in europe so we know we source the ingredients from china but we are the ones our companies are the ones which win the regulatory approvals and to maintain that edge uh, what what we just simply can't switch off the, the 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 inputs from china so you're absolutely right that export success is inextricably intertwined with domestic industry and manufacturing success there is no country which can achieve industrial production at scale and, and, and increase its share of manufacturing and GDP without simultaneously and concomitantly doing well on exports. And in fact, unfortunately, the numbers on exports are are not ex- exactly inspiring. If you look at our total merchandise market- exports back in uh, March 2014, or the previous financial year, it's the same five or six years later, about $300 billion. And this is mm-hmm. not a time when the global trade was uh, not growing th- around around the same uh, time scale around the same time countries like vietnam bangladesh even sri lanka thailand south korea all have clocked very uh, impressive growth rates in um, exports i'm not even uh, mentioning china which of course has done well so there's something uh, we need to look at and by the way apart from import tariffs as a, as a protection to promote domestic manufacturing or exports which as i said if it's going into intermediate goods it's like a defect to export tax one one very uh, I think across the board uh, instrument which works well is to ensure that your exchange rate is competitive. I believe our exchange rate has been uh, overvalued, and this is not just me. I think the Reserve Bank of India statistics also show that. So if it, if if we were a little more alert about that, that you know a five percent uh, depreciation in the exchange rate across the board is equivalent to like a tariff protection of five percent. So we have ignored that one particular important instrument of contributing competitiveness, and there are course other export promotion measures. But this is one, I think, one important element in our export mm-hmm. strategy.
2: Uh, Samiran, let me get your thoughts in on that, specifically on currency, because I know you've uh, kept a very careful eye on currency movements. Do you agree with what Dr. Ranade just said, and uh, do you, you know, do you think that the time has come to? create a shift, at least in terms of how we approach our currency, if not how we're approaching our export policy?
1: So our analysis seems to suggest that imports are more responsive to the exchange rate than exports in the Indian context. Uh, There could be uh, many reasons uh, behind that. One of the reasons is, as Dr. Ranadeh in the beginning was mentioning, that a lot of exports have imported components into it. Uh, So, in a sense, the exchange rate then becomes possible for them. Uh, But uh, the bigger question that we are all grappling with now is that even if for the moment we we can't go back in history and change our exchange rate, uh, but looking forward, uh, our estimate is that for the next four to five years, uh, the current account deficit, which over the last decade was averaging 2.3% of GDP, is going to be less than 1% over a five-year period uh, consistently. Uh, That kind of structural improvement in current account combined with huge amount of capital flows that we are getting uh, would mean that the balance of payment surplus is going to be somewhere between 65 to $80 billion every year for the next five years. How do you ensure that your currency is not appreciating with that kind of delusion Uh, balance of payment surplus is, I think, a massive policy challenge that we will be uh, grappling with. Uh, It's obviously much easier to say that we should have a relatively undervalued currency if we want to follow this uh, path of uh, partly import substitution and partly export promotion. But to deliver on that uh, is not going to be easy uh, given the kind of projections that we are making right now.
2: Shayan, I want to sort of, uh, you know, shift this conversation a little bit to what the thrust of what we've been hearing from the government is, which is basically that they want to push manufacturing. Uh, You know, we've heard that by way of what they had to say for the PLI scheme as well. Twenty five percent of GDP or so is the target. But if you looked at the numbers and even if you sort of, you know, refix the target for a decade from now for 2030, is import substitution really going to do a lot to muscle up manufacturing for us? What's going wrong with the nerve center of manufacturing in India? Because it has actually been on the decline uh, you know, since 2012.
4: Uh, yeah, so uh, here in the manufacturing sector in India, uh, in terms of employment, it has not grown. In fact, for the last uh, for 30, 40 years, it has, in fact, remained stable at about you know, 18, 19%. Uh, but in terms of value added, it has definitely grown. And uh, when we compare numbers, we sometimes miss this point that uh, we have, in fact, manufacturing strength, not in low-skilled manufacturing, which countries like Uh, Some of our competitors are always pointing out, uh, I mean, Vietnam and Bangladesh, typically in garments, we don't, but we do have competitive manufacturing in very many sectors, automobiles, for example, pharmaceuticals, for example, we are suppliers of generic drugs to the entire world. So it is, uh, the problem is that as far as manufacturing is concerned, we've not had a consistent policy and imp- definitely import substitution is not going to help. Now, the reason why we have not been able to push up manufacturing is also linked to the fact that we have not been able to integrate into the global value chains, the regional value chains yeah. of Asia. And uh, again, they basically, uh, so if you, uh, the, imp- importance of imports becomes very important in that in order to export you need to import and uh, uh, because you're part if you're part of the chain you're importing certain things intermediate uh, imports and then you are processing them and then exporting if you are part of the chain then both your imports as well as your exports in that product will be high diamonds for example india processes a lot of Finished diamonds. We are ex- importing the raw material and exporting them. So there are certain. I mean, in fact, gems and jewelry is a very important export. Uh, uh, ex- export earner for us. Uh, right. But the main issue is that what are the low skilled manufacturing that we can encourage? Because therein lies the problem of solving our employment. So we don't have to see this only in terms of you know what we can do in. Uh, as far as um, sophisticated manufacturing, which we are doing actually very uh, comfortably and very well, uh, yeah. but the problem actually lies in scale, um, and there the usual problems you know land, labor regulations, etc. Everything is there. Um, but as far as encouraging low-scale manufacturing, we have to really think out of the box, and I don't think uh, you know any kind of import substitution policies is actually going to help in that case. We have to find a way to becoming more competitive uh, compared to our competitors.
2: Santosh Chayan raises an important point, though. Are we sort of are we overthinking this debate about automation and you know how India can get a foot into the door? Are we ignoring the more labor-intensive, uh, low-hanging fruit as it may at this point from the data we have from China, which is limited, albeit it looks like rail wages are rising, the working force is actually shrinking. Is this not um, a clear opportunity for India to tackle? two impediments or two challenges one to create greater employment and two to actually get into this kind of labor intensive industry and and hence become a global you know spoke in, in the entire wheel
0: yes mithali i think uh, you started this uh, sort of segment by saying you know uh, the signals that the indian government is sending and if you put yourself in the shoes of a global investor today you're getting terribly confused because the stated objective of the indian government today is to take advantage of the backlash against China and present an alternative manufacturing destination. But at the same time, we are not a part of the global value chains. We have just stayed out of uh, RCEP late last year and there's not likely going to be a rethink on that. So for a global investor who wants to come to India, there are three questions. You look at feasibility, profitability and also the ease of business. Now, admittedly, we are doing very well on the ease of business. We have, you know, zoomed up the rankings because that is, you know, possible. You can do it with a few tweaks, but the real feasibility, as uh, we just discussed the scale at which we need to manufacture, to consider uh, ourselves a viable option for, as a global manufacturing hub, that is where we are really struggling. Even the foreign investors who have entered India in the last five to six years uh, cannot uh, scale. Uh, they either find it uh, difficult to recruit the right type of talent uh, in terms of workers and skills or you know land acquisition or uh, logistics within the country uh, the demonetization the gst uh, so there were there were reforms going in the right direction but it needed time but this year a lot of these global investors are going to rethink whether india is still going to be progressive and be reformist or is there a change in thinking because this needs an absolute crystal clear political commitment we can't dilly dally on a year to year basis you need to actually make attracting fdi a national priority if you need to succeed you need to eliminate overlaps for example a lot of states compete in the same sectors trying to attract
3: foreign investment uh,
0: special economic zones i mean there's a huge debate around that more than 50% of our special economic zones are it parks or it companies so there's a lot we can do to improve the ease of manufacturing to uh, to uh, make India a viable option on the global stage. Mm.
2: Uh, by the way, half we mark into our conversation, I must tell our guests as well that there's questions that are pouring in. So I will be throwing a couple of curveballs from our viewers to you. Be prepared for that. Uh, Dr. Ranade, you know, on the point that you were making about India versus where it sits in Asia, you're right. I mean, at this point, we have trade deficits with pretty much every country in South Asia. And I cannot have a conversation about India's export potential without discussing the very prickly um, RCEP. Do you think it was a missed opportunity for India? Or do you believe that India is waiting for a more opportune moment to get into that kind of agreement?
3: We already have a free trade agreement with 10 members of ASEAN. We have a very aggressive trade agreement, free trade agreement with Japan. Uh, and with south korea a free trade agreement with australia and new zealand is in the works and rcep was not any way more ambitious in fact one of the conditions of rcep is that it will be not it will not exceed uh, the free trade obligations already under the free trade agreements with australia. and so therefore that's the first point to remember that rcep is just an incremental uh, step uh in above the already existing pre-existing free trade agreement uh, secondly india has been involved in the negotiations for eight long years we, we were we started it in 2012 okay and uh, thirdly uh, the the sectors which were of concern like milk you know we we pride ourselves that we are the largest producers of milk one 188 million tons and we are 20% of the world's production and we feel threatened and insecure that new zealand milk is going to come and flood our market you got to be you got to really examine this issue we feel, you know, the main threat was about uh, Chinese imports into India. But, you know, there were so many provisions of backloading the, the completely zero tax regime, zero import regime can be backloaded, can be incremental. There are negative lists. So what we have done is not by not being part of RCEP, we have signaled. And this is where I think Fampush's point is important. It's not only about imports and exports. It's about the fresh investments into value chains. If I'm an investor, I, I'm going to have value chains which are going to straddle national borders if one country is going to be out of that uh, free trade zone i'm going to think twice about locating some part of the value chain in that country and this is the important part about manufacturing strategy and exports that it's no longer about finished goods or import substitution we have to be an integral part of all the value chains whether it's electronics chemicals special chemicals textiles uh, leather everything you know there may be a lot of automation which is coming but value chains are going to proliferate and by being in RCEP, mm-hmm. we are missing the opportunity of uh, investments coming into value chains. So I mm-hmm. think the my, my short answer is uh, we should act, we should still the door is open and uh, we yeah. can uh, we can address the concerns of uh, the main concerns about China. We can address that concern. and uh, I think we, we will stand to benefit, especially don't look at imports and export, look at the investment opportunities also. I have
2: a follow up. I have a follow up question to that, actually, Dr. Anade, Because many, uh, you know, economic policy watchers, people who have been part of, you know, government and policy formation, also root the fact that India was missing its opportunity to stand up to China. Because a lot of the other members within the RCEP felt that getting India in would be a counterbalancing force, where India could actually speak out against policies that seemed too heavily leaning against China. Um, in that as well, do you think we missed an opportunity to really come I... up and, you know, stand shoulder to shoulder with our neighbor?
3: I think so, Mithali. Two two important developments have happened since we walked out. One is that uh, I think Mr. Biden is going to be the president of the U.S. And therefore, the U.S. may have a rethink about its walkout from TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. So if the U.S. walks back into that uh, 12-member, you know, very very aggressive free trade agreement. Secondly, in the Quad, we have this new notion called the Quad, which is a geopolitical uh, construct of four nations, India, Australia, Japan. But Australia and Japan have already joined RCEP, and they're members of the TPP as well. So India gets isolated. They're neither part of any major trading block or TPP or RCEP, and and US is, is now going to be much more. I think the trade negotiation, US is going to be US-China uh, trade tensions will continue. But I think we we will see a different trajectory of that relation. And even at the height of trade tensions, even at the height of Mr. Trump's uh, you know rattling uh, sorry saber rattling, the US-China Bilateral trade was six six zero billion dollars, six hundred and sixty billion dollars. So I think we need to really think about. And incidentally, this mercantilist is thinking of bilateral trade deficits. Is I don't think the right way to go. We do have, for example, we should think of India, China, and USA. India enjoys a thirty billion dollar trade surplus with the US. Surely the US should not start thinking about you know cutting imports from India. So it's so we need to balance it out on the multilateral basis. And I think that's where. Uh, but of course you know not escaping the fact that our exports need to really uh, grow at double digit uh, dollar in dollar terms that we saw until 2012 2013
1: this was a mint production brought to you by HD smartcast
4: hd smartcast